Hello, and welcome to Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host today, Brian, with a Y, and this is the after show. We're going to be talking about uh, the last Skeptics and Seekers episode, which was about the argument from design, which was a show uh, conversation between David Johnson and David Paulin. And before we get into the uh, details of that, let me introduce to you who's on the after show with me. Uh, I have uh, with me uh, Dale. Dale, welcome to the show. Hello, Brian. Uh, nice to nice to be here. Thank you for having me as as the the host here. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure to have you on. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the show. I presume you listened to it already. Uh yep. Yeah, I I was on it. So yep, yeah, I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Now you're assuming too much there, Dale. I know you were on it, but did you listen to it? See, this is really the important distinction I'm trying to make here. That's a good point. I did have earplugs in, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And uh, we are also uh, fortunate to be joined by the one and only David Johnson. David, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Glad you could be here. And as I understand it, you've got some uh, some burning thoughts in your brain that you wanted to bring to the table on the show. So I wanted well, to this, open it up. This is, not the, this is not the Hill podcast, so they're not burning thoughts, per se. I'm trying um, to establish some continuity between, yeah, between episodes, okay. David. So you've got to give me some creative license here. All right. But uh, no, this is, cool. this, this is great. As, as David has said before, um, the after shows are like verbal comment section. So we're really trying to kind of kick some ideas around, get get the discussion going on the message boards uh, by having episodes like this. So I'd like to start um, with David. David, I think you had said you had had some things that came to mind after re-listening to the show and having some more research uh, on the topic, et cetera. So I wanted to give the floor to you to start uh, the show. Okay. Yeah, I, I have some burning comments on my mind. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, you guys just can't stop it's uh, <laughs> you can't get it off your mind here's the oh, thing man you are I am on not fire, David. <laughs> i am not the host so it is not my job to make sure that people are well behaved and we stay on topic <laughs> so <laughs> You, you've um, got the you've got the wrong man if you expect me to crack some whips or anything on you guys. We're gonna we're gonna we're this is freewheeling, right? We have got the smoking jackets on. My lava lamp is turned up to eleven. This is this is the after show, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's um, that's a terrible image. So um, <laughs> I uh, I just want to start off by saying uh, I really enjoyed having uh, David Paulman. Uh, on for this discussion. Uh, I had a feeling he would be a good guest. He is a good guest. I look forward to having him on again. And this after show is not a uh, a direct response uh, to our conversation that we had. We had that conversation. That conversation is good and dead. And uh, we'll have another conversation. Maybe it will uh, allude to that. But I'm not trying to go back and rebut um, David you know, with this show, this isn't, I'm, I'm not prosecuting um, his, his ideas when he's not here to talk about it. So I just want to make that clear. Um, ID is such a broad, well, ID, ID is a, is, is a broad subject. In, initially, I was thinking that the show was the argument from design. Uh, and so when I um, invited Dale to moderate the show, uh, I told him, yeah, we're doing the argument from design. And uh, Dale said, okay, which argument? 
<laughs> and um, that took me aback a little bit. And I realized, oh, okay, yeah, this is a fairly broad subject. I had assumed a, a, a teleological mm-hmm. argument. Uh, I was incorrect <laughs> about about that. And so uh, I did not, in fact, uh, realize that we were going to be talking about um, ID, um, intelligent design, uh, as opposed to what is, I think, more broadly considered the um, the, the more theological uh, or theophilosophical argument from design uh, that apologists use. So ID is itself a very particular, a very specific uh, argument. And uh, from my perspective, so I know that other people have different perspectives, uh, skeptics and uh, Christians see the subject very differently. But from my perspective, uh, intelligent design, uh, two things. One, it's inherently a dishonest argument. And it's very hard for me to talk about that uh, on this show and on the blogs as I have and separate that from the person I spoke to with it. Because I don't believe that David Pullman is a dishonest person. So I, I want to say that. It's it's important that I say that. But I think that he is a person who, like me, once upon a time, uh, may be duped by a dishonest uh, position. Uh, and it's it's easy to look at that and think that it's one thing when it's not. Uh, it's a little bit like Mormonism. A lot of people jump into Mormonism thinking that it's one thing, only to find out you know, later on as they climb the ladder that it's really more like a cult than the religion that they thought it was. Uh, and I think that idea is a lot like that. And so when I talk about the the inherent dishonesty of it, I'm not casting aspersions um, on David Pullman in any way. And so I, I hope that people are able to make that distinction uh, with me. I, I do think that it is an inherently dishonest um, uh, proposition, though, uh, as it pretends to be all about science when it really was a movement that just formed on the back of creationism. And um, you know, creation, creationism loses. Um, you can't overtly uh, put God in in schools and courts and things like that. And so when they realized that, they uh, took a beat, um, changed some of their documentation, and became intelligent design. And I think that, that is clear from the record that that is what happened. Uh, once again, others, others will want to dis- disagree with that, but that is my opinion. And so I think that, first of all, it's dishonest just, just by pretending to be uh, one thing when it's really another, or pretending to distance itself uh, from the thing that caused it to lose. So there's that. And secondly, I believe that ID is um, not uh, a scientific endeavor. Uh, I am willing to concede the science just to talk about uh, the theophilosophical uh, stuff. But when I say that I'm willing to concede the science, it doesn't mean that I agree that it, this is a, truly a scientific dis- endeavor. I just want to bypass that discussion altogether. Uh, but I think that if we wanted to tackle the idea of ID as science, uh, we could Dover trial, which is uh, I think an important video, not because of its conclusions. I don't care about the conclusions. Right now, Christians say, oh, that judge doesn't know anything about science. If he had ruled the other way, I would have said that judge doesn't know about science. So I, I can understand and appreciate 
that that idea this has nothing to do with the ruling but it has to do with everything that went into it uh and you can listen to both sides talk and there's uh literature out there you can read from uh both sides and it seems very clear that what most of us think of as science um i think id would not qualify uh as that one of the th one of the tells for it is id considered itself a theory equal to evolution they're both just theories they're just theories and this is the kind of this is where you know that there's a little bit of a sleight of hand and some dishonesty at play because i think many of the people uh proposing this at the top levels anyway understand what a scientific theory is and they're counting on the fact that average people don't know what a scientific theory is and so evolution has made it up to the point of being as high as a theory and science um, is, is probably more powerful than what we would consider a fact as a layman. Uh, this theory has been uh, tested and retested, challenged. Uh, you know, it's, it's easily falsified uh, and it has predictive uh, characteristics that, uh, that are useful. Uh, and so it's, it is a, full-fledged scientific theory in every way that ID is not. What ID is, is an idea. It's, it's not exactly, it may be more than a wild-ass guess, but it's an idea that does not meet the, uh, doesn't come close to meeting uh, the definition of scientific theory. And when ID people talk about it as it's a theory like evolution is a theory, they are either being dishonest or showing a great deal of ignorance. Um, and so I would I would suggest that the entire enterprise of intelligent design is a dishonest enterprise, and it catches up a lot of honest people like um, like like David uh, and myself uh, at one point. It catches a lot of people up in it, and it takes a while uh, to realize what it is. And I'll just uh, say as my concluding thoughts. Uh, the, the one thing that I will allude to that, that David has said in the podcast and other podcasts and what other ID people say, there's certain talking points that you, that you hear when you study this issue. And one of the talking points is, of course, it's falsifiable. Uh, ID has to be presented as science. And one of the hallmarks of a scientific theory is it has to be falsifiable. And so ID has the talking point that, of course, it's falsifiable. But you see the ball is constantly bouncing. The, the target is constantly moving. So once upon a time, it was, if you can prove uh, that the eye is not irreducibly complex, then you might, um, you know, if you can show a way that evolution could explain the eye, then uh, we would give up own ID. Well, we did that. Well, if you could show a way that the flagellum, uh, you know, could evolve, uh, then, well, we did that. Uh, and now it's on to uh, DNA or whatever the next uh, argument from ignorance kind of mystery is for people who hold ID. And the history of ID is that every time uh, we conclusively, uh, graphically uh, uh, falsify their particular claim that they're having at the time, they just fail to acknowledge it and move on to the next mystery. So again, it, it seems to be a, a very dishonest endeavor uh, in that sense. And it's, um, it's why I, I have a hard time taking, uh, taking it seriously. Uh, so that said, 
uh, I just wanted to get some of that uh, off of my chest, and hopefully uh, Dale and Brian will have some interesting things to say about the other aspects of uh, the argument from design. But I, I just wanted to kind of put a put a bow on the last show by talking about some of my impressions uh, of ID as a whole. Not so much my conversation with David, but my impressions of ID as a whole. Um, and maybe if I had known uh, or realized in advance that uh, that was going to be the topic, I would have said uh, some of that in the show. I would have been more prepared to talk about uh, ID. But uh, there you have it. Brian, back to you. Thank you, David. Those were interesting thoughts. Dale, um, I'm sure you, you and I will get into uh, discussing the show in, in some you know, other angles. But uh, what's your thoughts on what David had to say there? How, do you, how, do you, how does that hit you? given that you were moderating uh, the other show uh, and you got to see some of this firsthand, how there was kind of this um, misalignment about what uh, the topic was going to be and, and where it ended up going. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so, so, so yeah, that um, all I got from David, I, I found out, I think about four, maybe five days before uh, D- David asked me to, to moderate that. And I said, okay, sure. What, what's the topic? And he told me the argument from design and, and that was it. So I, I was as David said, yeah, I was like, well, what do you mean? Because there, there are, there's design at various levels. So there's, I was thinking originally the fine tuning of the universe, uh, and that's what me and David, uh, da- David said, yeah, it's probably it's probably that or something. So that's what I was prepared for. I, I had prepared a all but some questions or some some ways to have a good conversation about that particular argument. Um, and yeah, when. Um, David Palman, I was laugh- telling uh, David afterwards, I was laughing because uh, as soon as David Palman was like, uh, no, we're, we're talking about information and DNA, I was quietly kind of threw out my paper of uh, quite, of prep work and stuff away. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, just uh, so that was that was interesting. It was uh, OK, I've got to come up on the fly of what are some good questions to probe in this area kind of thing. I, totally uh, blindsided in, in that. But, but yeah, it's important to know that there are different levels of design that people can make an argument for design at the level of the solar system uh they they're not very good in my opinion but um there are young earth creationists that will say that the the solar system can be proven to be intelligently designed then then there's arguments at the at the level of dna that uh david pullman wanted to argue that there's also uh Outside of the origin of life, there's design in biology, like Michael Behe with the bacterial flagellum, and we can prove what a tri- intelligent design purports to do is try to prove, well, they're intelligent design with these organisms and stuff. And even at a grand scale, I, I consider the rational intelligibility of the universe uh, a design argument at an even grander level than the fine-tuning argument. Um, so, yeah, it, it's important to note that there are different arguments for design and it depends well, what what is it that's designed what are we saying is design and what can we extract uh from that so yeah uh it, it was an interesting show i, I liked uh being blindsided and, and kind of okay this is not what i was uh, thinking it is so what can i make of it kind of thing based on uh, and i didn't even have so with this new format one complaint i had because i like the old format where both sides give an opening statement first so you can kind of get a sense of where the other sides were I, I didn't even have that so I just had to kind of rely on like one to two sentence statements and come up with questions but yeah I think I I think I did all right at, at kind of things that's let me just jump in Dale is exactly right about 
all of that. And um, one of the one of the challenges of moderating a show, I've seen Justin have to do this uh, dance before too. Um, it's easy to be critical when you're not in that position, but you know, I've seen Justin have guests uh, that either came to loggerheads and they couldn't they they couldn't find a way to advance forward and Justin has an hour and a half show he's got to find a way to create some di- uh, conversation or uh, one of the more difficult kinds of shows I've seen Justin do is both guests end up agreeing <laughs> there's no there's no debate there and so again the moderator has to step in and figure out how to move the conversation forward and Dale was prepared to do that, but he was completely blindsided about what conversation <laughs> we were going to have. And I, and you know, when I had talked to Dale, and you know, we were like, "Well, which aspect of design?" I ultimately concluded, "Well, it doesn't matter because it's ultimately going to get to theology anyway." So my uh, strategy will just be to um, concede the science uh, and move on to the implications. That didn't. That couldn't happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Dale. If anyone thinks that Dale uh, made some mistakes there or was awkward or shouldn't have been there, or whatever, uh, he made the show happen, folks. <laughs> so uh, he he deserves some credit um, there. Quite a bit of credit. Very much. Yeah. Dale, let me let me let 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 me say that. Yeah, I I agree, Dale. I actually thought you did a really good job especially given this zigzag of, of the way the show actually was going. So, you know, don't beat yourself up about what may have transpired compared to what you thought was going to happen. I actually thought it was still a very, very interesting conversation. And again, one that I hope will kick off uh, lots of debate and discussion on the boards. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. I, I appreciate that. So let me, uh, let me throw out one first topic uh, that came to my mind about this. Uh, David Paulman said that he wanted to talk about the science, but, you know, during the, most of the conversation, I was actually, I I didn't hear him actually talking a lot of science. You know, it seemed to be a lot of inference and a lot of, as David alluded to earlier, a little bit of argument from ignorance. We don't, we, we, we haven't been able to do X. So therefore Y is true. Uh, I didn't hear him talking about a lot of experiments about a lot of scientific uh, analyzation or about um, you know, uh, other discussions of, of other things that have happened in the scientific record and, and where things have happened and, uh, related to that. So I, I actually didn't think he sounded like you wanted to talk about science. He was trying to talk about the inadequacy of science to give us uh, what he thought was, was information we needed to have about what DNA is and what it's doing. Uh, so Dale, I'd just be curious what, what you gleaned out of what he had to say from the science. Cause maybe he, and again, maybe he just backed off of that part because David was ready to concede it out the gate. Uh, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, on what you thought he brought to the table that was actually science. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit hesitant, uh, cause I, cause I, I was telling David, like, I, I don't like, uh, in the after shows, like speaking about, especially when it's a foreign guest, um, speaking about them when they're not here to really defend themselves. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess I'll just say in, in general, though, I, I, I didn't get that impression. I, I do think he, he knows the science. He did a good job of explaining the science, but that just wasn't uh, David's, uh, to, to focus on David J, that wasn't David's aim. So he wasn't really getting a lot from 
from David uh, in terms of the science, and that, that's fair enough. Like, it, that's not David's strength. He he doesn't really know. You know, at one point he's like Shannon information theory. What what is that? And and stuff like that. So he he was more prepared. There was just like cross purposes. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely got the impression that that David P knows the science and and provided some some insights. Uh, yeah, Let, on, let's go ahead and assume that David P knows the science. Uh, our audience, half of our audience, probably doesn't. Uh, know the science. So if I can rejigger Brian's uh, original question, what do you, uh, how would you categorize the science of ID? Uh, d irrespective of uh, anything that was said on the previous podcast. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it is valid science, uh, a valid scientific theory, um, and something that we have positive ways of of going about identifying so it, so it is a valid in certain circumstances so it is a valid uh scientific endeavor to or form of inquiry to to go on so i, I do disagree with your opening statement it's, it's all just a fraud e even if it turns out even if it turns out id is false let's pretend it turns out you guys are right it's still a valid field of, of scientific inquiry uh, we, we have positive evidence. There is, um, yeah, positive scientific evidence that speaks to this, to the truth of this hypothesis. And you have to evaluate the various hypotheses. So, like, you would agree, though, that scientific inquiry is not the same as a scientific theory, right? Sure. Yeah. Not in the technical sense. Yeah. Like, a sci you're talking about the yeah, different hypotheses and theories. Right. And yeah, yeah. There's a difference. Obviously, there's a, a technical definition, uh, and a theory is very, very something that's confirmed over and over and over again. Um, but, but there, Dale. So, so sorry. Real, just real quick. I mean, in in science, a theory is actually the highest honor you can bestow upon uh, inquiry into a particular angle. A theory is is the best model of all the available data that takes into account all the available data and is not contravened by, by uh, contradicting data. So a theory isn't the same as me guessing what you're gonna have for dinner tonight. A theory is a very well regimented and evidenced um, result of scientific inquiry. So I think when ID wants to call itself a theory, then I don't see that, that same support for ID related uh, inquiry than I do the evolutionary theory or germ theory or the you know, theory of gravity, things of that nature. Yeah, uh, but that's just not true. We, we have lots of evidence for intelligent design where it's confirmed over and over again. One thing is the junk DNA, for example. And I wasn't prepared to discuss the science, right? So I don't know why we're getting into that. Um, but um, yeah, like junk DNA, for example, is a confirmation. It's a prediction that ID theory made and that doesn't sit well with oh. evolutionary theory. And there isn't even this one thing called evolutionary theory. I mean, that was something that David P. did a great job at exposing in, in the show. There are different... Uh, evolutionary theory is under a lot of attack by biolo mainstream biologists. Uh, Darwinian evolution, that, that kind of notion. I mean, there are certain things that are well-established facts, and that's that's the theory. Natural selection, absolutely, that's a fact. That happens. That's well-confirmed. Genetic mutation, same thing. But there, there are other things, like lateral gene uh, 
other mechanisms that are becoming um, lateral gene transfer. Sorry, is is other mechanisms are coming in, and that's challenging the traditional Darwinian paradigm and that sort of thing. Okay, um, you had said you wanted to to take it to the to the to the next level, not talk about the science, but talk about the kind of theological implications. Do you want to lay out where you want to take the conversation in that way? All right. So, okay. So, um, assuming that ID is true, um, at the level of the DNA, the information in the DNA, uh, this is what David wanted to get to is, well, how do we argue, make a, how do we get theological import from that? And so in the first place, I, I don't use this argument to prove God, um, myself, but if I was, trying to to do that to see what I could do in the first place I think it can be used in a cumulative case if there are multiple uh, teleological arguments if we can identify uh, design at various levels uh, then this could help to rule out other options like aliens or something because then you'd have to say aliens did design on multiple occasions and and that sort of thing so um, that's one way you could, and also in conjunction, if we have other arguments for God's existence, like from the cosmological argument or something like that. Um, so that's one avenue that you could potentially use to, to argue that God exists, um, by not treating it in isolation. Um, what else do I have here in my notes? Another thing is with, compared to like the alien hypothesis, um, alien, we can argue that, so obviously an intelligent design is required, if it's required to explain the information in DNA, then there, those would have to be intelligent aliens. And there are positive reasons to think that intelligent aliens are very improbable to exist in our universe. And, and this is by atheist scientists who I've got various links for people I can put up, um, where they, where they all say this, um, you know, so there's certain problems from relativity obviously that that um there are responses to the drake equation um i'm trying to okay this thing's frozen but um yeah there i'll just leave it at that there there are certain reasons that atheist scientists have presented that make it improbable not that there's alien life in the universe but that there's intelligent alien life and... okay um david jay um, you had, you had, uh, made a nice analogy about the bridge building, about how often, uh, these theistic arguments, you see the beginning of the bridge and the end of the bridge and the middle is missing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was wondering if you could expand upon that because I'm seeing some vestiges of that coming through in the conversation we're having today. Well, um, I think it's, this is why I'm suspicious of cumulative cases, um, you you can show a picture of how the thing starts and for me i've every every apologetic argument that i've ever heard and have pressed in, pressed the person on they have always said well this is just the first step of a cumulative case well every piece of the argument can't be a first step <laughs> you know uh, surely one of those pieces is step 2 <laughs> <laughs> but but there is no step two. There's a step one and step three, and there's what seems like a leap of faith. Um, and so uh, it it 
is a little bit suspicious when all of the apologists talk about their uh, particular apologetic as the first step. It, it's all the first step. So um, I would I would very much like to hear the second step. Right. And uh, and Dale, some of those um, arguments you were just making, do you think that they fill in this space or do you think it's closer to the end of the bridge? Uh, you know, I, I, I share David's thoughts on this, that this needs to have kind of a, a trajectory forward instead of a bunch of things being lined up next to each other. Do, do, you, do you have a way of making a good through line from where you think ID gets you to the Christian God? I'm, I'm curious if you've fleshed that out at all. Um, well, in terms of the Christian, so, so yeah, it's, it's a part of the puzzle. Remember it, it's not like one step at a time. This, the cumulative case is like a links in chain mail. It's, it's not like one sequential step after another. That's, that's a mistake. So it, it's one piece in the puzzle and cumulatively all combined. You can, uh, even taking apart the, the other arguments for God's existence, let's pretend there are these multiple levels of design. Uh, at the universe level, at the solar system level, at the uh, origin of life level, at the biological level with the various organisms and stuff like that, that then you can use that to, to try and argue, well, God is the most likely explanation given that. So it, it sounds like um, oh, sorry, the first, I, it sounds like there's no distance between the first step and the, so the last step is theological argument. The first step is a um, apologetic argument. Is, is that is that right? There's 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 only two steps. Two steps. Um, so sorry, say that again. Yeah. I... So if the first step is an apologetic argument, like uh, the cosmological argument or the uh, design argument, and it says, OK, so there must be some uh, ultimate being. And and then the person says, okay, let me grant you that. How do you get to God? Do you go directly to theological arguments after that? Or is there something else in between the first step of establishing uh, a, a grand designer and we should worship God? Yeah, it would take like an addendum-type argument, uh, in the same, similar to how William Lane Craig has what you call his addendum argument for the Kalam cosmological. Um, certainly certain properties just from doing ID from DNA, you get it's an intelligent agent. Um, you can get that it has, it's very powerful if, if we're including design at the level of the universe. Um, it would have to be a person uh, made with free will and that sort of thing, making the choice. Um, in terms of Brian's question, how do we get the Christian God? Um, it, it wouldn't give you that, except for perhaps the, the other argument that I thought of is, um, well, it, conf it confirms the Bible. And this is perhaps a theological reason why Christians like it, uh, as well as, you know, God is the author of life, right? So, and he, he makes us, was that you laughing, David? No, no, there's my dog uh, sneezing. Oh. Uh, my dog coughs like a chain smoker. He's 16 years old. Uh, I call him patient zero. Uh, I, I suspect <laughs> the coronavirus started here. Um, the, the facts of the matter 
dispute my claim, but uh, my dog, uh, yeah, you can hear him in the, if you can hear him in the background uh, coughing up a lung. Uh, that's my case that uh, the coronavirus actually started here. Sorry, <laughs> folks. Yeah, so it's it, it counts as confirmatory evidence for the Christian God. It, it confirms what the Bible says about God. Um, so that could some way be you. God's the author of life, and he makes us from within our womb. Our genes govern how our bodies are made within the womb and and that sort of thing. So perhaps you could use that confirmatory evidence as part of the puzzle to to argue for the truth of the Christian God in some way. One uh, one thing I think is interesting, right, is, is you know, we know, we know how people today get their DNA from their parents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, but obviously the first human beings wouldn't have gotten it that way. So it, it creates kind of an interesting disanalogy where the first human beings wouldn't have gotten their DNA in the same way that current ones do. So there's kind of a break in the chain there. So Dale, would you, would you, would you um, theorize that, that humans were just injected, you know, and I'm using that word very loosely, not, not technically, uh, with DNA, and then the rest of the process of the the evolution of, of the human species happened the way scientists think it does. Yeah, yeah, it was created ex nihilo, uh, or out of the dust, I guess, um, with Adam and Eve, if you take the the Genesis thing literally. But yeah, it's the the human genome was a miracle in in Adam and Eve. Well, wait a minute, though. Other animals have DNA. Okay, so uh, you're you're pretty much denying evolution. Um, and you're saying that every biological creature was just seeded whole. Yeah, so it depends on how you interpret Genesis. Um, I do think that Adam and Eve were a special creation minimally in terms of their souls. Um, it... Well, but their souls don't have anything to do with DNA. Um, so the question was about DNA. In, in how you think we got it. I'm not sure how you have special uh, injection of DNA and evolution at the same time, because evolution uh, shows a uh, trajectory of life from, you know, amino acids and single cell organ organisms to humans. Uh, so you can't have humans walking around without DNA. And then one day God says, you know, I think I'm gonna put some DNA in them. That's, that's not how the story can be told. Yeah. Well, that's the story of common descent, which has nothing to do with the mechanisms directly on a micro or macro level. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I find the, the theory, the hypotheses about, uh, you know, evolutionary history, very speculative and they're often proven wrong and they have to readapt that and stuff okay but I'm, I'm still trying to get your adaptation then whatever whatever you think may have happened from the beginning do you think the land was barren and uh you know god said let there be a duck and there was a duck uh or do you think that there was a process of evolution leading to ducks Let's just start there. Forget about the ducks. Let, let's talk with the humans or whatever. So I'm. I'm well, but humans were the last of creatures with D 
DNA in them. Um, in order to explain DNA, you have to get to the first of creatures with DNA. Well, not necessarily, but not if God specially creates them, right? And I'm open to either way. In terms of ducks, specifically, I'm open to evolution, ev evolutionary mechanisms. I don't think ducks were a special creation in and of themselves. Okay, so then how but, do but, you but how do you think DNA? I'm I'm just see my question. DNA is not. It has nothing to do with souls. And it has nothing to do with humans. It it is a process uh, by which we biological creatures pass on information one to another. There was DNA long before there were humans. Uh, so you would agree with that, right? Wouldn't you? Yeah. So the so okay. The so then, human DNA isn't that special or important. The real question is uh, the first DNA. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right. So uh, that being the case, how did that? How do you imagine, you know, what's your story of how that came about? There, There's nothingness right now. There's nothing but a bunch of, uh, you know, pools of amino acids. Now, what's your story for how we got DNA? I don't have to have a story, but it would be a special creation in, in some way where God creates that or design or takes pre-existing materials and then designs the DNA molecules. Okay, but would you agree that humans, that the human story is basically as uh, biologists tell it to be? Because at that point, there's no need for a quote-unquote special creation for humans if, if we're looking at it at the level of DNA. If DNA already exists uh, before the first humans, then they would just be uh, uh, recipients of that thing that has already been created does that make sense yeah or, or do you think there was a special dna created specially for humans apart from other uh, the rest of evolution so it it, it depends on your view and uh, so under just a strict cartesian dualist thing yeah that the dna could not be a special creation at all i'm open to that and god just created the soul uh and then it interacts with with that under a Thomistic dualist view where the, the DNA is governed by the soul, the body itself is a part of the soul or a mode of the soul. Um, there might be some implications there that I would have to be hesitant about, but I, I definitely think that there was inter some, there were some interventions where God specially designed biological organisms at certain points in history. I, I don't know. Talk to me about that. What What is the process where you think God intervened and and did a special thing? I'm just trying to get a. I'm not trying to corner you or trap you or anything like that. And I hope the audience can can hear that. I'm just trying to get a picture in your mind of how this works. What What you think happened? Because I know what I think happened, and I think I could talk about that, even though I'm not a scientist. But I don't know what you think happened. And I think a lot of people don't know what you think happened. So can you enlighten us? Well, I, I don't think you know what happened as a scientist. You can't give that that tale either, um, at least not with any degree of specificity, like what you're trying to get me to do. Um, so it's it's unfair to me to be like, oh, well, three, 
uh, two and a half billion years ago, God in, intervened in this occasion, and and uh, one and a half billion years ago, He intervened on this occasion or something like. All right, all right. Then let me let me let me take let me let me walk that back. Um, then um, maybe if you if you want, you can answer um, online if you have some time to think about it. Um, and that's fine. I think that we all should be uh, we all should challenge ourselves to think a little bit further. Uh, but the the idea is that DNA is somehow a special creation that was created whole and that it could not uh, exist without being created whole. There's no evolutionary explanation for it. Is that is that a correct assess, uh, assessment of your position? Yeah, the conception. Okay parts could exist uh, um, and not with before DNA came together but yeah the formation of the DNA molecule ha would have to be a special creation naturalistic mechanisms without intelligent input would not be able to create that okay and so this is this is kind of where the argument of irreducible complexity gets challenged by me because what you're what you're saying is DNA is irreducibly complex you can't disassemble it and have it assemble itself somehow uh, or that it somehow wouldn't be useful uh, in earlier stages of development. And so just speaking generically, I, I don't I don't know the, the specifics of DNA, so I'll have to bow to more science-minded people here. But just generically speaking, I think what has been proven uh, with the eye and with the flagellum and everything else that scientists have bothered to tackle is that the notion uh, that something can be irreducibly complex is just wrong-headed in and of itself. So uh, whatever the, let's just imagine DNA without one of its components that you think of as necessary. Great, it's not functioning as DNA any anymore. That doesn't mean it's not functioning as anything. And I think that the mistake that uh, ID uh, proponents make is that they mistake what what exists now as the goal and it's it's not the goal i don't think dna was the goal i don't think there is a goal uh, i think it's very useful uh and that's great but that doesn't mean that it was trying to become dna so whatever it is without a few uh components it was it was that thing. It, it became DNA in uh, in the way that the flagellum became uh, what it is. And you can't look at the modern flagellum and say, well, that was the goal any more than you can look at the modern human eye and say, well, that was the goal. Uh, so one, this is just part of the assumption of ID that things have goals. And so if you take away some of the components, then it doesn't meet that goal. So it doesn't make sense. But that only makes sense if you assume there is some being making things with a particular goal. If you take that assumption away, your, your objection uh, dissolves. Yeah, I heard you. So, so I guess you're getting into the science then. So, all right. No, uh, so, no, well, not really. It's, it's more it's that's more of a. A theophilosophical comment, believe it or not. I, I, I don't, I can't really address the science of it. I'm addressing the idea uh, of it, uh, that somehow 
there is a goal. Uh, so I don't think that's I don't think that's a science discussion. And if it if it is, I wasn't intending it to be. So, so yeah, so I consider when you're talking about irreducible complexity, this is a scientific hypothesis or something. It's it's a set of criteria whereby Michael B. He thinks he can identify design. And yes, yeah, so we, we've all seen Kenneth Miller's beloved rebuttal to the mousetrap. So is B. He and he's refuted it. So the, the problem is when you're looking at all of the instances of design combined, so, so number one, you can't prove that there was a function for this DNA minus whatever component. Um, and it's not the case that it, it was like that, right? There are various, it depends how you think DNA was formed on a naturalistic thing. There are you no know, RNA world hypothesis or whatever, whatever um, where, they, where they think, oh, well, before there's DNA, there was RNA and that sort of functioned as, as DNA and, and did kind of the same function or whatever like that right so it depends which hypothesis i'd be refuting but there are problems with all of these things they don't work and at some point especially when we go to all the instances of design it's very ad hoc and there's special pleading on the part of atheists who just say well there is somehow there's we have no idea what it was there's a there was some alternative function for each and every instance that we can do this is just pure assumption it's, it's unproven you can't prove it um and it's, it's unfalsifiable in my opinion it's just well we have no clue what the heck the the functions for dna minus or the bacterial flagella minus this little component would be but we just believe we have faith that there was some function and it all just happened to work out at every stage along the line to get us to where we are now um so that's the Achilles heel, I would say, in terms of this Kenneth Miller rebuttal that, well, you're just saying a mousetrap minus this component is useless. No, it had some function. Oh, well, what was it? I don't know. Um, but it had a function. We'll just assert that. No, that doesn't work. But Michael B. He tries. See, see Dale? Go ahead, Brian. No, get it. Finish, finish, finish up and I'll respond to you. Go ahead. Oh, no problem. No, I, I was done. Yeah, it's it's. Michael B. He tries with his examples. He's providing examples that he thinks can, he can demonstrate were just useless. The constituent parts would not have had another function, and that's how his criteria work. Yeah, and I, my my comment I was going to make is I think you're overstating the case that the scientists are making. They're not asserting that there was another function for these things. They're saying that according to the model, it's possible that they had another function. We, we certainly have the, like for instance, the flagellum, we have it now. We don't know exactly the entirety of the evolutionary lineage of it, but you can, um, you can uh, hypothesize the various ways it could have come about. We're not asserting any individual particular one, but it's just a, it's a hypothesis that would require more study. Now, right. you we know, we know that a half a flagellum makes a poisonous stinger. We know that a half an eye is useful uh, along the, th those stages. Would you at least uh, admit that, that 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 particular, those particular evidences show uh, intermediate functionality? So, so yes, you, there are certain constituent parts, but you have to do it for all of the parts. And, and there is a, a, so, and yes, it's true that it's possible that all of these things, but we're talking about probabilities and it becomes improbable, even if it's possible that all the instances of 
irreducible complexity that Michael Behe outlines, uh, they just happen to, all the constituent parts happen to have uh, a function. And it's not just a function. Functions are, are not good enough. It has to be a function that aids survival value. Otherwise, natural selection would not select those features. Um, and they would be weeded out uh, along the way. Therefore, we'd never get to the end state of the bacterial flagellum or the DNA. So it's, it's very speculative. Yet, yes, sure, it's possible, but it, it's very ad hoc and very improbable to my mind. My apologies, Brian. I, I ran over you like uh, like a blind driver, and uh, you were just crossing the street, and <laughs> you were crossing the wrong street there. I'm sorry about that. The, the, <laughs> David, this is, this, is, this, is the, this is the after show, David. There's no, <laughs> there's no stepped on toes. You're saying no it's okay to, to drive blind? <laughs> So. <laughs> well, I'm not sure you have any other options, right? I, I don't have any other <laughs> options. So, blind driving coming to a neighborhood near you. <laughs> let me, uh, let me. I, I want to steer this uh, back toward theology because that was what we um, we wanted to talk about. Um, one area I find interesting, uh, Dale, is, um, you know, you, I, let me, let me, let me, let me make some questions here. Uh, so. Do you, you don't think uh, animals like monkeys or anything have souls, do you? I do, actually, yeah. You think, you think a monkey has a soul? Yeah, it's, it's a less well-endowed soul. Um, okay. Do, do all living things have souls? Uh, I'm not, I don't think plants have souls. I don't think, uh, and, you know, I, the Bible would not call plants living, for example, even, if, even though they're, Biologic, under our biological definitions, they're alive today. Uh, I'm not sure that insects uh, are alive. They don't have souls, uh, for example. So, so, so yeah, go ahead. So, so I'm sorry. So, so you would say that something that doesn't have a soul isn't alive? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. All right. That's an interesting definition because what, what I'm driving at here is, you know, David Palman had said that it's because DNA provides information is what makes it special. But there are things that you yourself have already defined as being alive that are functioned by DNA. DNA drives their reproduction and their, their proteins and their encoding and, and what they end up expressing. So I think there's a little bit of a disconnect here. If, we're, if DNA is the magic bullet that needs to be explained by a god, but there are things that you admit that don't have souls that are governed by DNA. Yeah, well, I, I guess so, David. Again, I, I don't like speaking about people when they're not here, but yeah. So he, he was just going by in, in general things. So I, I would just be more exclusive, like what you guys want to do. Maybe there are multiple functions or multiple telios for DNA. It's one is to govern live, biblically living as opposed to thing organisms, and the other is to govern non-living things for a, a specific purpose. We. It, Obviously, trees governed by DNA has a purpose to replicate and uh, soak up oxygen and, or sorry, create oxygen and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it doesn't, we would just be, uh, I think David P. was using it in terms of biological life. He was using the, the scientific definition of, of living and that's, he wasn't using like the biblical definition. So we would, I would just expand um, what I would say or clarify what do I mean when I'm saying that DNA serves the purpose of uh, governing biological life? 
I, for one, find your distinction useful, and I appreciate it. I have never heard someone say, for instance, that insects are not living creatures. Um, I wish they weren't living creatures. Um, I, I, I kill them like a serial killer, mass murder, murder when I when I have the opportunity. Uh, I try to make as many of them not living creatures as possible. Um, but they certainly seem to be living creatures <laughs> when they when they infest my house. Um, so uh, I, I I guess it helps to to for us to be able to wrap our minds around what you mean by living. Uh, you define living. It sounds like at the at the root of it as a thing that is ensouled, and, and that is not a definition that anyone. Uh, outside of a religious uh, belief system could understand. I don't know what is insold or not. Uh, I have no way of telling that. Um, but I do have a way of telling whether things are alive, and it has nothing to do with insolment. Yeah, well, it's, it depends if you use the Bible as your guide. Um, and I, I do think the Bible gives us some kind of an idea uh, of what types of animals aren't sold uh it's not exhaustive or like it's it's not a scientific definition it doesn't give us all the details as to can i adjudicate is an iguana and sold versus uh i i definitely think that the mammals are in sold they they display features um and the bible specifically says they have souls and spirits uh nefesh and um rua um so that, that's how we, as a Bible-believing Christian, I would make this distinction. And it's just, sci athe modern atheistic science, modern science, not even atheistic, modern science has a different definition of life. And it's perfectly valid. Great. You tell me, you clarify what your definition is, and we can operate according to that. And that's, I think, what David P. was doing. You asked me from a Bible-believing Christian uh, perspective how would I define life and I think there is some kind of a distinction there whether where it's iffy um, whether insects have souls or not I, I see them as little machines well, yeah I'll, I'm just saying I've never heard a Bible believing Christian define life that way and I've, I've heard a lot of uh, Bible believing Christians talk about life and so it'd be interesting to see in the comments uh, if that's something shared by other Christians if that's just something I've missed uh, let me just ask one more question before um, Brian beats me with the the moderator stick. Um, do do you think that these ensouled lower animals uh, have an afterlife? Uh, the Pope uh, a few years back seemed to suggest that they did. Uh, so you know, when my dog finally coughs his last, uh, will will he be in heaven, wondering where on earth his uh, master is? Um, I don't, I, so I, I guess I'm agnostic on that. Um, it could be, uh, but I've always leaned toward, like, I've always learned growing up that it's probably not, um, but there's no, like, argument. Uh, that's just how I grew up, and I just sort of accepted that. I've never really cared to figure out, oh, oh is my pet flapper and chirpy going to be in the afterlife or, or not? To the extent where I thought yeah. 
try to. But they have, but they have souls, right? I mean, so you're saying that there is a type of soul that. I, so I don't, I don't. Not only do I understand the distinction of life by what has a soul and what doesn't, but you apparently have various distinctions of souls. Yeah. Um, and so I just don't know any way for a non-Christian to even begin to get their head around uh, your your theory about this. And souls have certain have differing degrees of faculties and capacities. Obviously, a bird is not on the same level as a human being or, or even a dog. They, they don't have the same capacities that other animals do. So there are, is this varying degrees. Uh, that sounds, animals, this sounds very Peter Singer-esque, though. By the way, I like Peter Singer. But, I mean, not all humans have those capacities either. Some birds have more capacity than some humans. Would those humans then not have a soul? Uh, well, no one... No one said they didn't. I'm saying they do have souls. We're assuming they all have souls, but they have right. Different... But would they would they would they have a lower yes. value soul? Is what I'm asking. If you you got a human on a vegetative state, for instance, he has less capacity than a hummingbird. Um, yes, they they display they display differing degrees of of value. But when it when we say all human beings are totally equal, it's because all human beings, regardless of capacities or abilities to uh, use their function use their faculties to varying degrees they still all display the image of God and that gives them this inherent value that distinguishes them from the animals um, it, it doesn't matter how smart you are or not you're you're an image bearer of God and that's what that's the most supremely value orienting thing that distinguishes the human race but yes I, I'm smarter than my uncle who doesn't even know what one plus one equals um, intelligence or knowledge of certain things is that my soul is is capable at least while I'm embodied I, I think he does have the capability of knowing what it is in the afterlife but his soul is hindered by his, his the physical reality and that sort of thing that that uh, his soul is dependent on so um, but but yeah I I the knowledge I have creates greater value within me compared to my uncle. It's it's better for a being to know what one plus one equals versus not know what that equals. All right, we can um we can have more of this particular topic out on the message boards, uh, and I invite you all to make sure you follow up and do so. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up, and David J, I'll go to you first. Um, one thing I hear from design proponents is how we can infer things about the designer from the design. So the universe, life, our planet, etc. We can infer things about the designer from the design. Um, what are your thoughts on potential uh, risks of special pleading when we use the good things about this purported design to infer to the designer goodness, but we don't take the bad in this universe and impute that to the designer? Yeah, that's um, that's that's a tricky subject for me. I, I when I hear Christians talk about how design is uh, the designer is inferred from the design. If you take uh, Paul's very simplistic uh, natural theology argument, I think this is kind of uh, something that that natural theology speaks to. You know, just just look at look at nature, look at the universe. You see, it, it's God. Uh, but when Paul says that, I think he's 
doing the kind of thing that uh, I hear some Christians do today. You know, they they stand uh, atop a cliff and look at the grandeur. Uh, they gaze into um, a telescope and, you know, look at the stars and are awed by it. They, uh, you know, look at a mountainside and uh, are awed by it. Uh, but they are not looking at other aspects of nature uh, that are awful, just awful. Uh, and so uh, one of one of the things that I kind of challenged recently is if if the mountainside and the cliff and the stars are positive evidences for a good creator, why is not cancer uh, and uh, you know sudden infant death, uh, you know SIDS, and uh, steaming piles of poop? Um, why are they not uh, equally good arguments for an evil uh, designer? And I don't intellectually, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't. I don't think that you can infer one. Uh, or the other without special pleading. I would say one more thing about that. If we're, if we're, because I think that Dale might talk about the ultimate utility value of a thing, and he would say that the universe would be ultimately good and that life is ultimately worth it, um, and that sort of thing. And I just don't know that that is the case. I enjoy living my life. But even me, with my enjoyment of life, if I were given the option, to either live my life or never having been born, what would I choose? And I think I would probably choose never having been born, uh, to, to be honest. Um, so, uh, look, I'm not suicidal people. I, do, I really do enjoy life. But there, I've gone through some hell in this life, and I've got some hell to go through. Uh, and I don't look forward to it. And I don't know that I can say at the end of the day, well, but it was all worth it. To have never been here um, is to not suffer from any kind of angst whatsoever. Uh, and that may be better. So, um, yeah, that said, I don't know that we can look at the universe and infer, oh, this is a good universe. And, oh, what a what a good universe. Uh, uh, creator God is mostly from my perspective where I stand when I look at the universe if there's a God he's an ass and someone should have shot him a long time ago Dale I'm curious your thoughts on this if you think um, uh, the design uh, uh, you can the design inference how do you get uh, can you uh, understand things about the designer his powers abilities motives etc based on the, the uh, reality on the ground Yes, so I, I think that the aspects of the design can be possibly potentially be used to infer the character of the designer. Um, however, I, I think it's just assertion on the part of the skeptic where uh, unless they're making an allowance argument, if, if, if you're trying to say, oh, there's bad design, which so that means you're you're ascribing that God designed the bad stuff and no Christian believes that. I don't believe that. I believe that those effects came about because of the fall and or the world was cursed because of human beings' choice to, to bring sin into the world. So it's, I would just deny the premise that there is bad design. Um, and obviously David can escape that if, 
and say, okay, but God allowed these bad effects to come. And then we just get into the, the usual problem of evil thing that I say a lot and I won't go into because... Okay, but I don't think that's I don't think that's entirely fair because even Christians, I can't remember whether you feel like this or not. Um, I know that you've said before, but it, many Christians believe that predation uh, was always here, that that was a part of the original design. Uh, and I would say that predation is awful. Uh, so there was predation and death and so forth. Uh, and there was just this one pocket where those things didn't exist, uh, Eden. But uh, otherwise, predation was always a part of creation. Uh, and in that predation, you would have had uh, suffering and disease and all of the things that naturally occur. So this is, this is um, are, are you saying that you don't, believe that? What do you say to other Christians who argue that way? Because I believe Randall uh, believes that predation was uh, also a yeah. predated man. Yeah, and same with Woodland Craig and, and all of this. They, so they, on a, so there's two ways to answer this. They'll say that predation is good, actually. It's not bad. Um, young Earth creationists, are, are you nuts? Are you crazy? And that's who you're taking after. And that, I so I'm I'm open to that possibility, but um, it speaks. I I don't lean in that direction. I kind of lean in the direction of the young Earth creationists, and so that puts me in a bit of a pickle. While there is billions of years before uh, Adam and Eve ever showed up, there was death, there was cancer, there was suffering, and that sort of thing. And, um, I have an answer to that as to why it's a human beings fault with their free choice. Um, it assumes that it's not biblical. It, it, it's assuming that there's the Bible has errors or something, or it's mytho history of the mytho history genre. So I'm, I'm, I have an answer to that, but it's complete speculation. Would um, it be, would it be Justin's answer? I don't know if you are familiar with Justin Briley's answer, but he, he believes, um, and I also think that this is maybe how Randall does it too, but that the effects of sin work forward and backward in time. Uh, so that somehow the effect of sin happened before the cause. Uh, so, so no, that that's another option that I've considered. Um, I, I'm iffy on that. I don't think that really works. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me on it on an A theory of time, definitely, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, so I, I'm debating whether to give my answer or not, because I know how people are going to react to it. Um, well, no no so, pressure for me. I just wanted to clarify. Uh, I just wanted to kind of defend myself a little bit um, as you were giving the options and just say, look, this is a Christian idea um, of the fact that these things were built into the creation. Uh, so it's not just skeptics. Uh, saying that yeah so the the trick is they have to deny that these are bad designs and I find that problematic myself and that's why I uh, it's it's plot it's plausible so put it that way you, you can make that plausible argument but um, I have a preferred answer that totally avoids that it, it's equivalent to the young earth creationist but uh, also allows for the fact that the earth isn't 6,000 years old and that there was death and that prior to Adam and Eve existing in the Garden of Eden or, or whatever. Um, well, I'm not going to press you to say anything that you're uncomfortable with. However, uh, Brian is the Lord of the After Shows. 
he can do whatever he wants. So uh, I'm <laughs> going to stop I talking. Gonna, I was going to say, David, that you know, I said this. This is the after show, Dale. You can let it hang out if you want. But seriously, it's it's fine if you don't want to to say. I did have a comment though that so the some of the negative things in the universe you think happened because of the fall, which you know I, that's a, one theory, right? But but still, you know, I don't have the power to create famine. I don't have the power to create black holes. I don't have the power to create hurricanes and earthquakes and you know pandemics like the COVID-19. So even if it's my fault and my humans, fellow humans' fault, the power to do those things is still on God. It's it's like you know saying that because I you know my kid didn't clean his room, I got so mad that I smacked him in the face, and then blaming the kid because he didn't clean his room well yeah that was the proximate cause of my anger but i'm still the one that got angry and smacked him in the face so if if the reason there are bad things in this universe is because of the fall well there's because god's reaction to the fall is what posted them on there because we couldn't bring those things about ourselves well we you could indirectly so you don't have the power to do nature has the power to to bring about those effects it's nature that has the that causes hurricanes and that to come about and nature was cursed because of our choice. So we don't have the, the causal powers directly, but we do have the causal powers indirectly and, and ultimately. Uh, and those causal powers were given to us by God in the first place, and that was a good thing to do. That, that's good for God to give us the ability to, the potential, potential evil, creating potential evil is good. Um, giving human beings the potential and nature the potential to devastate people based on us right human beings the image made in the image of god are stewards of the earth this is why our decisions affect the earth as a whole affect all of creation and that was good for god to create that situation um it was not good once we chose to actualize that and that as a necessary consequence a necessary natural consequence of sin entering the world through human beings all of creation as a result was cursed and yeah that's uh, so so it's nature that's creating these things god isn't directly creating a um a tornado or something like that well that i mean yeah, that so really I'll, sounds i'm sorry go ahead i was just i was gonna, i was going to say it's a neat trick to blame the much much less powerful being in this equation as to you know what the result you know why there are famines and hurricanes and tornadoes to, to put the blame downstream rather than upstream in the same way that you you so you can't blame the parent for hitting the kid when he got really angry the, the parent could have shown restraint and not hit the kid and done something else david what do you have to say about that i was just going to say in dale's model uh combining his model in your example it's the parent that instructs the servant to hit the kid <laughs> um you know and it's like saying well the parent didn't do it uh you know he has these uh rules in place and he has this hierarchy and he has servants to uh do things and they respond to what the kids do and so the kids have the power to make the servants do things and when they dis misbehave then you know the servant uh smacks them uh and that is the parent's will, but the parent didn't do it. It's kind of like that, and I I don't um, I don't find that 
convincing or helpful, just kind of using this intermediary of nature. Nature doesn't do anything that God doesn't want it to do. And so God still set up nature to behave in a way uh, that would create these kind of cataclysms. Uh, he did not have to set nature up to do that. He could have, for instance, set nature up in such a way that, you know, if we sin, then nature will cause us to itch for five minutes. It, it, he didn't have to set it up so that if we sin, nature will cause the universe to collapse in in some fundamental way. So that's still a choice that God made, and I don't see how the Christian can distance themselves from that. Yeah, well, he created the he create he did the good of creating the potential for nature to to go out of whack, and in turn he didn't he didn't have a choice. Everyone knows my answer. I, I don't feel like getting into it again. I'm, I'm tired of this. Uh, my Molinistic answer as to why the circumstances had to be the way they were. If he uh, created a world where Adam and Eve sin, and then uh, as a necessary result, pink bunnies come and wag their tails in front of their face instead of tornadoes coming about or something, less people would have been saved as a result. Um, you know, the, right. the same thing. So, we so I'm not trying to get you to defend something that you don't want to defend. I'm just trying to uh, make the case for why someone looking at nature might see a negative kind of creator rather than a positive kind of creator. Uh, so uh, I think how each of us sees that may be a bit of a Rorschach test. Uh, but I'm just making the I'm just making the case uh, from the skeptic pers perspective that the the natural theology look at nature, uh, see how wonderful God is argument doesn't work. Do you, would, can you prove that it was bad design? Um, where like these tornadoes and things are bad design, where God directly does them, or directly designed the world, as opposed to just the potentiality, just as a yes or no? Well, I think tornadoes are bad, full stop, yes. Uh, I think, for instance, if there's a heaven, and obviously this, these are I think statements because you know we're speculating on things that I consider fantasy. But if there's a heaven, for instance, I can't imagine there would be tornadoes in heaven. Uh, I I can't imagine that there would be the potential of, of tornadoes in heaven. Um, I can't imagine the potential of disease in heaven. And so, no one's model of heaven, of which I'm aware includes the potential for any of these things they would consider those bad things and uh, so if we're if we're talking theology there is a place in the bible um i wasn't prepared for this passage so i'll just characterize it if, if that's okay uh where it's talking about uh you know the fullness of the kingdom and it's uh saying specifically that uh the lion will no longer hunt uh the 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 uh, gazelle and uh, all all will be peace and and no bad no evil thing will uh, will be present. It's it clearly talks about things like predation as if it were an evil. Uh, and so I don't think that even the even the authors of the Bible recognized uh, these things as as evils that needed to be fixed. 
So, yeah, I, I think that it's a, a fairly strained theological position, not an impossible one, but a fairly strained theological position uh, to suggest that, you know, our normal uh, idea of what good and evil is is somehow subverted. Uh, no, tornadoes were bad, according to the authors, and tsunamis were bad, and disease is bad, and predation is bad. Uh, and so, no, I don't, I don't think that it works theologically to turn around and say, oh, well, no, that's actually good. Yeah, well, well like I said, yeah, and that's from Revelation, right? The, that- uh, actually, the, the place where I was thinking about was uh, in one of the prophets, so I would, I would have to go back. It's Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, and, and so this is why I myself find, don't lean in the direction that William Lane Craig or or would go in and say, yeah, de- death before the death of animals. That's that's uh, good. That's great. Um, I tend to favor the view that that's bad, and that's why I have sort of my my idea that I'm avoiding saying just because I'm not in the mood to to go through. What I know will come, like Christians will be baffled by by what I'm going to say as well. So it's 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 kind of a a weird solution. But um, yeah, all I would say is uh, absolutely you're right. Tor- I I think probably that tornadoes, disease, uh, in and of themselves are bad things. Um, I don't buy the explanations of oh yeah, but disease in animals. No, that's good. It's only disease in humans that's bad. Um, I, it's plausible to me, but I don't buy that, so I have to explain why there's bad. And I would say, well, in certain circumstances, if it's necessary, which is what I argue it, it is, God has to allow the actualization of evil to bring about other certain goods. And we all recognize this. We all recognize that it's good to stab my child with a, a sharp, pointy instrument um, called a needle. I, I allow my doctor to stab a kid with a needle because that's in the end that achieves the greater good and and that's how I I wouldn't deny that these things are bad but there's a greater good that comes about by God allowing these things to to take place so that's right, my but I I think I would consider it progress if I could just get you to admit that you can at least see where someone would look at uh, the universe and say no a good God didn't create that uh, whether that is true or not, whether that is a narrow perspective and they just need to think another step further or not, surely it is it is intuitive to at least see how someone could come to that conclusion. Well, actually, no. So, so forget about my answer in terms of the greater good. No, I, I would see you as being agnostic because skeptics who want to say, look at the bad, God is, God is bad. Look at the bad, quote unquote, bad design that we're going to assume here, disease and all that. Therefore, God is bad. No, that's just as illogical as just looking at the good and saying God is good. I would just be, I think the rational thing is to be agnostic. If you're looking at the full picture, there is good design. Obviously, we have love and ability to make children and all these goods. And we also have the bad to reckon with. So if you're, you can't, you can't deny one evidence and say, well, I'm going to just use this evidence to make a to infer God is bad, or I'm just going to look at the good and infer God is good. You, you have to look at everything. Okay. So um, I'm going to jump in here and, you know, lest the uh, the after show need its own future after show. 
I wanted to see if I could wind us down and uh, and give you guys uh, a chance if you if there's anything that we didn't say, anything you want to bring up for future conversation on the boards. Uh, if you could each take a few minutes just to to kind of cap this off, uh, so that we can move this uh, into the uh, into the message board world. And I'll uh, I'll let uh, Dale. Why don't you go first? Um. Yeah. There's nothing really that. Um, yeah. No. I think we covered the majority of things, so I don't really have anything to add. So is it too late to open up uh, one small can of worms before before closing? It's just a little can. Sure. Yeah. Sure. As long really as small. As long as it's little and there's just a few worms, that's fine. Yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's hardly anything at all. Um, I wanted to see if I could just get a little bit of discussion on, um, Dale, what you think the goal of design is. So I've talked about that a little bit and I think that you know that is one of the flaws of the design argument in general that it has some kind of goal and I ask Christians this and when I make them think about it on the spot they don't have very good answers and and it's clear that they haven't thought about it you know maybe as deeply as they want to so I, I understand it's a bit of a gotcha question uh, for those who haven't thought about it but I think that you have thought about uh, this some more this more and so the question is uh, what do you what do you think the goal uh, is for creating a universe um, and you know just just to lay my hand out uh, up front and, and expose some of the difficulties well if you say uh, that the universe was created uh, to produce life well there's all kinds of life without even human life. Uh, well, biological animal life. Great. So are you really saying that the goal of the universe is to create uh, an earthworm and evolution could have stopped then and God would have been satisfied? No, you don't actually believe that. So then what What life? Well, then we get to something maybe a little bit more uh, honest. Well, human life. Because uh, if you just say uh, biological intelligent life, I could say, okay, space aliens. Uh, there are three space aliens on Xenon 3. Is that really what you think God created the universe for? Well, no, of course not. They don't believe that. So, uh, okay, so he created the universe and all these forces in the universe create human life. Uh, fantastic. So are you saying that the, the moment that the first humans existed, God was satisfied with creation and that everything else is just gravy that he doesn't care about? No, you don't actually believe that either. So the, it, the question actually goes on much further because you've got to get Jesus into the equation some, somewhere along the line. And so before the universe, uh, foundation of the universe were laid, you had to make a kind of universe that would produce the parents of Jesus to, to get him. Uh, onto the scene, at the very least, Mary. Uh, and you've got to get the lines that go through Joseph and then Mary. So this is a very specific, very directed kind of creation to get a very particular and specific outcome. Well, is that the outcome? No, because we're still going and because we're here. Are we just accidents of creation after that? Or is God still creating? Did the universe, can I say that the universe was created to bring me into existence? Yes, I am God's gift to the universe. Uh, can the universe stop now? No, it's still going. What is the end goal of creation? It's a much harder question uh, than it may sound like on the surface. And I just wanted to get uh, your thoughts, Dale, because I know that, once again, you've thought about this maybe more deeply than a lot of people. 
Yeah, so I think your problem is because you think there can only be one purpose. God has multiple purposes, and he designs things to accomplish those multiple purposes simultaneously. So I think, yeah, I, I can define it in the way that you said, uh, in terms of the fine-tuning argument for God's existence. Yeah, that's fine-tuned. The universe is fine-tuned to be life-permitting in a general sense. It's not specifically about humans. It's for all for all life. That's what that argument would establish. But at the same time, God has other purposes. And I think what your answer, what you're looking for, is well, what is the ultimate purpose? Why why this whole why this whole rigor rigmarole or whatever? And that is, as a as I've always said, it's to maximize the number of free creatures or free persons that exist in this eternally loving state, blissful state. Um, in a relationship with God forever. That's why he uh, did. That's why he chose to create in the first place um, to to enjoy people and have people enjoy his love forever. Um, so Jesus actually, it wasn't necessarily a, a design plan. That goal could. It's strictly logically possible that that goal could have been accomplished without Jesus coming into the world, without the atonement. Let's pretend Adam and Eve didn't eat that fruit. Uh, that's strictly speaking logically possible, but um, obviously there is no broadly logical or feasible world where that happens. Um, and that's why God has these other design goals with Jesus. Uh, you know, he designed his providential design in terms of having Jesus atone for us and everything like that. Which, But the ultimate design goal, I think that, am I right? Like, is that what you're really looking for? Uh, kind of. There's also, once again, you may just want to pick this up in the comments because it's another uh, can of worms that can't really be unraveled right now. But if the universe was fine-tuned for something and designed for something as specific as, say, the passion uh, play that we get, then wouldn't you have to uh, say that the universe, every stage of it, was determined uh, in order for it to get there? Whatever you say the universe was, whatever point in in history or or point in evolution that you say the universe had to bring us to this point because it was designed for that then wouldn't you have to say well okay so it was determined up to that point if it was determined up to that point why would we think it's not still determined so no it wouldn't because with free will in the mix that's not determined what i would say is it was predestined uh that's the biblical language in romans 8 and that sort of thing before the foundation of the world uh god knew set up the world to accomplish his ends knowing in advance what our free will choices were but at the end of the day our free will choices were not externally determined by any of the circumstances or anything like that we could always choose to do otherwise or refrain from making the choice that we did and that's okay that's, but that sounds that sounds a little like a mini worlds um argument um, you know, God has the option of unlimited universes to choose where we would have, you know, made various decisions. And so he just chose the one that he liked. I don't see the difference between that and him just determining the universe to the one that he liked. Well, he, he did determine which ones he liked, um, but that's not the same as determinism in the sense that my libertarian free choices were, were not determined. These are, I'm a prime mover um, and everything. The only thing that God determined was what circumstances to create 
knowing in advance what we would freely choose to do. And through that means, he, in a looser sense, you could say he, he determines. I would rather say he destines the, the end goal, the end outcome. But that's in, that's indistinguishable, though. If he has a pot to choose from, uh, and it's an infinite pot of infinite, infinite universes where every conceivable possibility happens, and he just picks from that the one that he wants because it delivers the outcome he's after, that's indistinguishable from him just determining it from the beginning. Yeah, no, but it's not. So... It- it depends what point you're making. Yes, he's making a determination as to which uh, world he's going to set up, and that determination includes all the factors, including the libertarian free will things. But who cares? That no one. Cares. That's not immoral. That's not a problem for anyone. It only becomes a problem uh, when you want to say, "Yeah, but our choices were determined, and therefore we're not blameworthy or something." God is ultimately blameworthy for. The sinful choices that we make. So, well, let's just, let's just say our choices were not determined, but the outcome is determined because, from God's perspective, it has already played out. So, yeah. we we God God chose a universe where we chose all the choices that He wanted us to choose. Yeah, <laughs> right. So that's, right. that that's why it's indistinguishable from God just predetermining everything from the beginning. Uh, because it still it still ends up working out the same way. And, you know, when you talk about choice, I don't really have a choice if God has determined this universe to work out a certain way because he's already chose. I've already made those choices from his no, perspective. See, that's what I mean. Like you, you were doing so good until, up until you said that last bit. <laughs> no, that, you well, have, not- from his perspective, have I not already made the choices? Can I can I do something that would surprise him? You can't do something that would surprise him, but that doesn't mean you're deter- You're not determined by God's determination of which world to create. You, your free will choice was not determined by the, oh, God chose to create this world and he, God, yeah, you're not determined. What you're trying to say is your choice was determined by God's middle knowledge of well, what his universe, but the actualization of this universe is the thing that was determined. And so if there are yeah. unlimited universes, Right. And maybe one of those universes, uh, I stayed a Christian. Let me just say, in one of those universes, I stayed a Christian. In this universe, I didn't. Let's just make that the simple choice. God, so I, in both cases, I made the choice. Let's, let's just grant that. But only one of those universes can be actualized. God chose the one that he wanted to actualize. Yes. And that, right, and once he actualized it, then I am locked in that set of choices. Not, not, you're locked in by your own internal free will choice. So it's not an external determination by God. So put it this way, God's God's middle knowledge doesn't determine what choice you're going to make. And then he sets up the world. That's what you, your argument is assuming here. And it's wrong. Your choices are what God knew your choices would be. So your internal libertarian free will is determining what God's middle knowledge is. And then he chooses to create factoring in what you chose. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not arguing against that. I'm granting that. 
I I under I really do understand what you're saying. I'm granting all of that. I am simply saying that God, in His infinite middle knowledge, in His infinite ability to choose from infinite universes of my choices, He chose this one as opposed to one where I would have made another decision. Okay, well we'll put it this way: given God chooses to create this world, your decisions are still not locked in. It's it's not that you can't make the a different choice. No, it, it is possible that you you can either make or not. You have this dual ability. This is the ability condition for free will. Um, so you still have that. You're not locked into your choice. It's just God knows in advance that you will not make that choice. You will make the choice that God knows in advance you'll make. Let just, me let, no, let me. Uh, you can have it. I'm out. I'm out. No, no, no. I'm out. I, I I continue to be flabbergasted at this particular angle. We're just going to keep talking past each other because I, I I think you guys have both made the point from your respective sides. I think we should have it further out in the comments because uh, I think there's some fertile ground here to keep going on. So um, do you guys, anything else before I take us out or? No, uh, you know, the audience should know my plan was for this to be a 15 or 20 minute uh, talk. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's always my believe it or not, audience, <laughs> with these uh, shows that are not the main show. That's always my plan. It just never yeah. works out. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> so. not. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that was doomed from the beginning. So, you know, the you know, my, my infinite foreknowledge knew that this was going to be a long after show, which is why I got to kill it before before it mutates and goes even further. So uh, so everybody, thanks. Thanks for listening. Dale, really appreciate you coming on uh, and giving your takes here. And I hope you'll um, stick around and join us in the comments for more. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm working on uh, getting up my show with Dale Tuggy, so uh, I'll make an announcement when that's up for people. I th Excellent. Okay, I thought, wasn't that, yes? didn't you do that yesterday? I did, yeah, but I haven't posted okay. it. So, Alright, looking great. looking forward to that. Um, and uh, Dale has, uh, did you agree to uh, let us post that on uh, SNS2, or did we talk about that? Uh, I, yeah, I don't think, I think you just mentioned that you would, if you want, if I want to or something, you, you're okay. why don't you post it up in the blogs, uh, whatever blogs are there when you, when you get that up, because that'll be a, that'll be an interesting show. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is one where Dale gets his ass handed to him by, <laughs> by this is my prediction. <laughs> and therefore it should be very entertaining, <laughs> but <laughs> But uh, I think I did. No. Oh, okay. Uh, there's one. Uh, there's one uh, point where I got confused and I said things wrong, and he uh, he definitely won that thing. But um, other than that, yeah, I think I I gave a good rebuttal to the the other three points that he raised against it. So yeah. I'm just I'm I'm just playfully stabbing, poking a stick in your eye. Yeah. You know, as as as, uh, as, as good friends do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think that we know that Dale uh, can hold his own um, in a logic debate uh, against anyone. But uh, Dale Dale Tuggy is uh, kind of a uh, he's he's kind of the expert in this field that they're talking about. So Dale is Dale is on Tuggy's ground, and um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that one. Uh, plays out. So we look forward to seeing that. Uh, I will go ahead and announce uh, this show, even though I have not talked to the people 
about it, but uh, coming up will be a SNS show uh, about the, um, there'll be a couple more, more than one on uh, the COVID, uh, the coronavirus book uh, that I've written and still waiting to publish because it's stuck in Amazon. Uh, and all they're saying is COVID-19, we're backed up and you just have to wait. And so uh, when that comes out, it'll be fully announced, but there will be the first show that we do on that will be uh, all of the skeptics, uh, myself, Andrew, uh, Sarah, and Matthew, uh, as we had, you know, different thoughts, but the same take. And so I think that we can all do one show uh, talking about that. And I plan to have uh, Christian guests on separately uh, thereafter to talk about their chapters, because each one of the Christian de- guests had different kind of different ideas and different takes. And I don't want to uh, blend those together. I want each one to can be able to stand out uh, on their own. So we'll have a series of interviews uh, for that. That will be coming up possibly as soon as next week. Uh, So we'll see how quickly we can get that together. So uh, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, Am I supposed to speak? No, I'm sorry. Did we lose Brian? Uh, Okay. Um, Hey, you guys still there? Oh yeah, yeah. I, uh, I tr- so I tried to Ryan, unmute myself and I hit the hit the end of call button. So that was a bad move. Brian went to sleep <laughs> on us. Uh, that's what he, you know when you're hosting a show, Brian. Do not let the guests catch you going to sleep. Yeah, I'm not no, saying no, you shouldn't sleep. Uh, I mean, I do it all the time. Yeah, don't get caught. <laughs> it's just like the CIA. Don't get caught. That's you know that's that's the that's the mission. So, uh, I want to thank the audience. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to all of us. And I hope that you will join us in the comments section to keep uh, fleshing out these issues. I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, and that is at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. And again, my name is Brian with a Y. And this was the Skeptics and Seekers After Show. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time. Be well. Be skeptical. Take care. Ooh, was that a tagline? Be well.